Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Today we uh, continue back in Exodus chapter 7, but last week, remember we found that all the plagues, we did an overview of the 10 plagues that are going to come against Egypt so that Pharaoh will finally let God's people go. And every one of those plagues were literally a statement from God against the gods of Egypt and the gods of the Egyptian. That's why we have those diverse and weird plagues, you know, like lice, ooh, yucky, and darkness, and flies, and all of those represented Egyptian gods. It's really interesting. They came against each of the Egyptian gods, and it wasn't God just arbitrarily saying, okay, I'm going to give them these plagues just because I think it'll be cool to have flies invade their country. No, all over Egyptology, we saw that they have flies and images, and flies would bring uh, protection, they thought. Isn't that weird? They also uh, really love the scarab beetle. And you guys have seen those in Egyptology and things like that. Numbers uh, chapter 33, verse 4, it says, While the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, that's the last plague, Passover, whom the Lord had struck down among them, the Lord had also executed judgments on their gods. And that's the proof text that not only do we find that each of those plagues were against a God of Egypt, but in Numbers, it's clearly told us that God literally did the plagues against the gods. And then I asked a question last week. Remember this? Why in the world would God give Moses and Aaron a magic trick to do in front of Pharaoh? What is that magic trick? It's in our text today. Hey, you throw your staff down, it becomes a snake. You pick it up and it becomes a stick. It's like, why would he do this like seemingly weird parlor trick? Do you know that even the magicians of Egypt could do the same trick? So why did God do it? Today we're going to get into that. But first of all, I think there's a truth in this for us from last week that we didn't get to. And that truth is this. Whatever you are enslaved to this morning, that becomes your God. Do not look at my coffee cup. <laughs> I only drink five, five pot, pots a day. <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee all day long. Okay, if you want me to quit, I will. I am not enslaved to it. Every year I quit. I do, I do a fast for 10 days from coffee. And at the end of the fast, I say, see, I'm not addicted to coffee. And then I go back to enjoying the black gold (laughs) or caffeine or whatever that is. But whatever you're enslaved to, that becomes your God. This morning, as I really prayed about the message and thought about Israel being delivered from Egypt and God coming against those plagues, which literally were coming against the gods of Egypt, I began to consider what? Do I have in my life that has become a God or an idol? You know what I mean? Have you ever idolized something in your life? Could be a new computer. Could be a new car. Could be your house. Could be your bank account, your job, your position. Could be your spouse. Do you know that happens? Where where your spouse becomes your idol and your whole life revolves around them rather than God. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great 
to love your spouse, the two become one flesh. You become one unified uh, team that goes through life together. But whatever becomes God in your life this morning, believe me, God wants you to get rid of it, to be set free. And in order to be set free, God has to come against the gods in your life. Does that make sense? You know, I do know that, first of all, God will woo you back with kindness. You know the song, It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O Lord, knowing that you love us no matter what we do. Do you know that? No matter what you do, He loves you. That you cannot disappoint God to the point where He will reject you. In fact, He says, I will never leave you nor reject you. You are mine, saith the Lord. Ah, you're precious to me. And when you fall, I'm right there to pick you up. And when you fail, man, I don't stop loving you. I love you just the way you are. Luke chapter 16, verse 13, we know the verse. It says, man, no one can serve two masters. You're either going to love one or hate the other. or Man, you can't serve God and mammon or wealth. And the idea here is you can't have more than one supreme God in your life. The more you seek first the one true God, the more all your needs are met. Do you know that? In fact, the promise is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all your needs will be met. What I've discovered in life is the seasons of my life that I pursued God more than I pursued anything else. I was blessed. Everything worked out. Oh, sure, I had trials. But in the midst of it, I had strength. I had the fruit of the Spirit. I had peace. I had joy. It was amazing. And the years that I pursued my flesh rather than God, oh, I still believed in him. I just kind of said, Lord, man, I'm going to do this. And I know you love me and your grace is sufficient. And I'm going to do it anyway. And I did that. Man, it seems I would get angry and frustrated. And the times of joy in my life would be fleeting like sand running through my fingers at the beach. I couldn't hold on to it. Man, God's economy is so much better. His plan for you is so much better, and the joy that he gives you is so much greater than anything this life can offer. Run to him this morning. What gods are concerning, consuming your time, talent, temple, treasure, and testimony? Remember that sermon I gave a long time ago? Pastor Chris used it in his homily last week. Really, that's everything you are, everything you have. Your temple is what? Man, your body. It's, it's this. What gods, what idols take your time? What are you pouring your talent into and the gifts that God has given you? Where do you pour your treasure? And your testimony, what do you talk about the most? Maybe this morning God wants you to set you free. He wants you to come home. I don't know about you, but sometimes there's days where several times a day I have to have a come to Jesus party. You know what I mean? It's like, whoo, man, did I blow it there? Okay, <laughs> Lord, here I am again. <laughs> wow. But the Lord just wants us to turn to him. Wants us to set us free, just like setting Israel free from slavery in Egypt. 
What God does, what does God have to do in your life this morning to get you to fully trust him and serve him? I want you to consider that. What would it take for you to fully trust God and to serve God with everything you have? You know, God's looking for a people like that. Who remembers Hezekiah? Hezekiah? Okay, we're going to get into that soon, so hold on to that thought. God is going to deal with Pharaoh today in our text with a powerful object lesson. And so turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 7. Yet Pharaoh obviously still hardens his heart. And my appeal to you, please do not harden your heart. Man, when God starts wooing you and getting you to come to him, open up your heart to him. Get rid of the idols in your life. So we made it to Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. And we'll entitle the message, The Snake and the Sign. Verse 8, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Now here's a puzzling thing. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers or magicians. And you know these words have the idea of one able to write or engrave. These are engravers. They would do the hieroglyphics. Remember in Egyptology, what was written became reality. Remember that? We talked about it a few weeks ago. So a lot of their histories, like when Ramses II came against the Hittites, the Hittite, I believe it's the Hittites. I know I'm getting that, that, that country wrong, but it's one of those countries like that. The Hittites won, but on Ramses' tomb, they recorded that Ramses had victory over the Hittites, which all history establishes they didn't. Why is that? Once it was written, it even affected the past and the future. Does that make sense? Okay, kind of interesting. Let's go on. So then Pharaoh called for all these guys, the magicians of Egypt, and they did the same with their secret arts. Now, how in the world, we know with Moses and Aaron, it, it was a miracle. They threw that staff down and God changed it to a snake. Moses didn't do it. Aaron didn't do it. Folks, when you pray for someone and they get healed, man, you had nothing to do with it. God does the healing, not you. Does that make sense? So Moses and Aaron, we know God did it, but how in the world did Pharaoh's magicians do the same thing with their secret arts, their magic. Verse 12, For each one threw down their staff, and they turned into serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Isn't that interesting? Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. That's all we're going to get to this morning. So let's close on a word of prayer. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you were like, yes! <laughs> That's the shortest message ever. God always speaks to you in a way that you can relate to it. Does that, is that true? I mean, sometimes it'll be through a guy on the radio. You're driving to work. You're driving to the store. You're listening to K-Wave or another Christian station. And the pastor or the teacher 
on the radio says something and, and the Holy Spirit's like, that was for you. Isn't that cool when that happens? Or maybe in the homily or maybe during the worship when Joe or Jamie is exhorting us and the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. Sometimes it's directly through the Word of God. Sometimes it's through a dream or a vision. But God will speak to you in a way that you can comprehend what he's trying to say. The thing with the staff turning to a snake, God was speaking directly to Pharaoh. This was a loud object lesson to Pharaoh, and I'm going to get to why in a minute. Last week I asked the question, of course, why would God do the parlor trick, stick in the snake, even the magicians of Egypt could do it. Now, how did the Egyptians of Egypt do it? Absolutely. Do you know that, well, and we're going to get there in a minute, but Satan can do false signs. Do you know that? Do you know that there are false revivals in the church? Do you know that there are cults that actually speak in tongues? Now, that's not a real tongue. That's not the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a false tongue. That is a mockery of the real thing. So do you know that Mormons speak in tongues? Do you know some of them do that? Okay, it's not because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. No, because they're serving a different Christ. Make no mistake about it. That is a false miracle and a false sign. And we know there's a guy coming on the scene probably fairly soon. And he's going to do false signs and wonders. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 says, That is the one, speaking of Satan, whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So even the Antichrist, now remember, he will be embraced by the Jews as what? Messiah. They will think he is the Messiah of the Old Testament, and Jesus Christ was a false Messiah. The world will follow after this false Messiah. Fact is, false prophet, Revelation chapter 13, says he'll be able to call fire down from heaven anytime he wishes in the sight of all. This is a false prophet. Now, remember when the prophets of Baal tried to do that? Oh, man, they, they cut themselves. They, they did all this stuff all day. And, you know, Elijah's like, hey, man, is he on the toilet? You know, no, really, he, he did that. I love that God has a sense of humor. You know, it's like, that's pretty good. But this false prophet will do that. So I believe, now think about this. The first appearance really of Satan in scripture tempting somebody, he appeared as what? A snake. The snake throughout scripture seems to be an idea of evil or bad or wrong. Why would God turn a stick into a snake? We're going to find out more in a second. Verse 11 in 2 Thessalonians 2, For this reason God will send them over to a deluding influence so they will believe what is false. What reason? They've already rejected the truth. When they take the mark of the beast, they will be fully deluded. Does that make sense? The Antichrist will be fully delusional. In fact, he will get so delusional, he'll go into the temple that Israel will rebuild and he'll go in the temple and declare what? Guess what? I am God. <laughs> that is delusional. All right, snakes and Egyptology. The Pharaoh always had a headdress 
with a cobra coming up out of the headdress. Have you ever seen it? Okay. Now, that cobra was a, played a prevalent role in, in the office of Pharaoh. We know that Pharaoh was supposed to be Ra incarnate, the god Ra, the sun god incarnate. And so Pharaoh was worshipped. The snake was worn. Egyptian documents like the Westcar papyrus and archaeological evidence have been uncovered that snake charming and magic spells performed to turn staffs into serpents and due to the power believed to be represented by the cobra on Pharaoh's uh, Urias, which is the, the thing that he would wear, wear here, and by Pharaoh himself, the transformation of Aaron's rod into a serpent was a direct assault on Egyptian magic beliefs and Pharaoh's authority as well, because that snake represented the authority of Pharaoh. So the very first sign God gives Pharaoh is an attack against his very authority, the very precious idol that he held on to, the cobra. It's really interesting. This cobra, the snake, always carried with it in Egyptology a message of power, being the protector of Pharaoh. In fact, they have some cobras in Egypt, two types. One's about eight foot long, and man, when it uh, stands up on end, it'll go about two foot high and put out his, his side things. What are those called? Hood. Yeah, hood. Thank you. Put out his hood. And then he wears a black handkerchief back here and he does, yo. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't do that. Yeah, the first gangsters were cobras. <laughs> yeah. All over e Egypt, in the tombs, even in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, snakes played a vital role. They were gods. Most of the gods manifested snakes. In fact, when the god Osiris wanted to take over the throne with his wife Isis, do you remember this story? Anyone study Egyptology? Uh, Isis was Ra's daughter in Egyptology. And she wanted her husband to be the head, not her dad. And so she knew that her dad walked amongst the fields of Egypt by the Nile River every day. So she crafted a cobra out of mud and some of his spittle and brought it to life and made the cobra bite Ra and... Ra was dying. Now, by the way, the one true God can't die. False gods have to do magic. God does miracles. That's the difference. Folks, don't. There's a whole movement in the church today, some of these false revivals into this weird, weird new age stuff. Don't, don't get into that. But anyway, so Ra was walking along. The snake that she crafted bit him. He was dying. And uh, he had a name that no, no one knew. Isn't it kind of interesting that we'll get a name that no one knows and Christ will get a name that no one knows? But that name was his authority. And so Isis was like, hey, tell me the name and I can heal you. He goes, I'll never tell you the name. Then you'll have my throne. Well, yeah, her husband will have the throne. Well, in Egyptology, that snake almost killed Ra. So the snake was more powerful than Ra himself. Does that make sense? Finally, he told Isis the name and Osiris took the throne. So anyway, uh, these snakes always represent sovereignty, royalty, deity, divine authority in ancient Egypt. So the reason why God had Moses and Aaron, the first miracle, turn their staff into a snake because it was an attack against the divinity, royalty, and sovereignty of Pharaoh himself. God was saying, I am the only sovereign. 
I am the one true almighty God, not a cobra, not the sun, not all these little idols you worship, not the thing, not even Pharaoh himself, but I'm more powerful than Pharaoh. The Egyptian band of cobra is impressive. If you get bit within 10, 10 minutes, you die. It's a neurotoxin if you're not treated immediately. I don't know about you, but that's, that's kind of quick, isn't it? I think rattlesnakes around here, you have like, what, at least a few hours to get treated, maybe even more. All through Egyptology, snakes play a prominent role. That is why the first miracle that God did to get Pharaoh to let his people go was all about a snake. It was all about the snakes because they liked it so much. What do snakes represent in Scripture? Really quick. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, we know, came to Eve. She was by the tree, probably looking at the beautiful fruit on the tree of forbidden fruit. You know, you can eat any tree you want, but not that one. Well, we as humans, what immediately are we going to do? Every time we walk through the garden, we look at that tree. Why can't I eat at that tree? You know, we would be always looking at the tree. I, I can imagine that Eve was right there just like, now Eve even uh, said something different than what God said. What did she tell the serpent? He said, if we touch it, we'll surely die. God never said that. He said, no, surely you, you shall not eat of it because the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. So Eve's there. The serpent came up, and believe it or not, some Bible scholars actually think the serpent was a creature that could vocalize and walked on two legs. Now, we know that snakes potentially did walk. We've seen some of that stuff. But rather than being a representative of Satan himself, possibly possessed by Satan, can demons possess animals? Remember when Christ cast the demons out of the guy, they were legion and they went into the pigs and they went, okay. So more than likely, this serpent was possessed by Satan himself. And Satan was the one speaking through Eve. How do we know that? Hey, Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, that's a reference to the garden, who was called the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. So throughout the Bible, Snakes represent evil, bad, satanic stuff. Are you with me? Okay. So, snakes always represent trickery, even Lucifer himself. Isn't it interesting that e Egyptians worshipped what? The sun god, the light god, the luminous god. Could we say Lucifer? And so when those magicians mimicked the miracle that God did, it was part of Satan himself doing a false sign for Pharaoh. Now, it's really interesting to me that later on in the book of Numbers, we're going to find that the Israelites come to a place where there's a bunch of serpents and they start getting bitten and they start dying. What does God have Moses do? He makes that bronze serpent. Do you know that that stylized serpent on the pole is what uh, the medical, uh, it's the, the sign for medicine still to this day? Yes. Now, now think about this. If snakes are always bad and evil in the Bible, then why did God have Moses make a bronze serpent and anyone who got bit who looked at the serpent, they were instantly healed? 
Isn't that weird? That you would look at a serpent representing Satan and get healed. Hmm. We've got the answer to that. Actually, in Numbers 21.8, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. So why in the world would God have people look at an idol, and that is an idol, it's a graven image, right? One of the Ten Commandments, man, don't make a graven image. And Moses broke it, but God told him to break it for a purpose. Think about this. That snake on the stake represents Jesus becoming evil. Sin. It's all about the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus became a snake. Some of you are looking at me like, you've gone mad. <laughs> John 3:14 As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness on that that pole that bronze snake even so the son of man may be lift, uh, must be lifted up so that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life John 12:32 And I if I am lifted up from the earth I'll draw all men unto myself John 12:33 But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death that he was to die. The snake in numbers represents sin personified, literally Jesus Christ. So think about this. Christ on that cross, what does the Bible say? He became sin. What is the sign of sin and evil in the Bible? A snake. Why did Moses lift up the snake? It was pointing to the cross. That all who looks at Christ lifted up on the cross, they will be saved. Isn't it amazing? So why did God have Moses and Aaron throw down a, a staff and it become a snake? Because it literally still points to the cross. And it affronts even the authority and sovereignty of Pharaoh himself. Now Yahweh, God of the universe, takes possession of the magic arts that his magicians would do. And by the way, snake charming, it's, that was real prevalent in Egypt where they would play their flutes and hypnotize. You've ever seen it like on TV or whatever? And they get these snakes to like do all kinds of weird stuff. Um, they even uh, can get them to actually become rigid like a staff. And some theorize that this is what they did. They actually somehow freeze their muscles so it's like a staff. They can, it's rigid and when they throw it down, they can make it come back to a snake thing. All this weird magic stuff. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to become sin or be our sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So all of this is pretty interesting. Folks, it comes down to this. You got to serve somebody. You know, the, you know the song. Who sang it? Bob, Bob Dylan? You, you older guys? Any of you don't know Bob Dylan? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you young guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got to serve somebody. You know, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Yeah, poor guy. Did he ever come back to the Lord? Yeah. I mean, he came to the Lord, then he fell away. Is he back? We're praying. I don't, I don't know. Pray. For, yeah, would you call him for me? That bronze serpent became an idol for Israel. Now, here, here's some key thing. Moses and Aaron, nor did anyone in Israel worship their staff. Are you with me? 
Moses threw the staff down. Aaron threw the staff down. It became a snake. They picked it back up. No one said, ooh, the staff. Can I touch it? You know what I mean? They never worshiped the staff, but the bronze serpent later that Moses made, guess what they did? Oh, the children of Israel began to burn incense to the bronze serpent. It became an idol. Folks, we need to be careful when God gives us something good that we don't idolize that. Are you with me? You see, we glorify God, not the good thing that he gave us. In fact, you've heard it said before, just because it's good doesn't mean it's, oh my gosh, it's a quarter after. God, right? Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. In fact, this enemy comes, what does the Bible say? Like an angel of light to deceive many. And so the whole theme of the message today and Pastor Chris's homily is this. Is there anything in your life that you can think of that has become an idol? that you exalt in your heart more than you exalt and want to know God. Probably once a quarter, something will pop up in my life that has become my pet idol for the quarter. You know what I mean? Do, you know, anyone know what I mean? Or am I just out to lunch? I mean, so it's like for that quarter, all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm going through the first month and, you know, okay, the second month, oh, third month, I love these glasses. You know, without them, I can't read. You know, <laughs> it's like I don't idolize them. I look pretty dashing in the. No, <laughs> you know, but anything be can become an idol. Folks, all, often we need to examine ourselves and see if there's anything that's come between us and Christ, between us and God. And when we find it, we need to immediately repent. And say, Lord, man, I don't want to be enslaved to this thing. Because ultimately, we become enslaved to whatever we idolize. The most freeing thing is to only serve one master, God himself. Isn't that the most freeing thing? Oh, I love that. That bronze serpent, where <laughs> it's pretty interesting because Hezekiah, turn there and we're going to close with this. Hezekiah or uh, 2 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 1, and it's about Hezekiah. And let's see what Hezekiah did. He was a 25-year-old kid. Now, some of you are 25 or they're about that age, and you're saying, you're calling me a kid? Yeah, you're still a kid, right? How many of you old men, when you were 25, you still learned a lot after that, right? Okay, yeah. 2 Kings chapter, but you're a cool kid, so. All right, you're not kids, you're men. <laughs> who's who's 20 never mind second kings chapter 18 starting at verse 1 says this now it came about in the third year of hoshea the son of elah king of israel that hezekiah the son of ahaz king of judah became the king he was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 29 years in jerusalem and his mother name was abby the daughter of zechariah verse 3 and he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David has done. Remember, in Hebrew, father there could mean great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. It's literally who you descended from. Continue on. Verse 4. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah. He also broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. 
For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nahushtan, or literally piece of bronze. Isn't that interesting? Israel made an idol out of something that was good because it pointed to the cross, but they idolized it. Folks, that's why there's a danger of thinking that if I touch that cross on the wall over there, man, something, it's like when I pray, if I'm at the foot of that cross and I touch it, something miraculous occurs. No, that's idolizing the cross rather than the one who died on the cross. Man, it's not the cross. It's not the symbols. It's not all the other things. It's God that gets glory. It's God that moves. And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You want to know what's sacred to God? I want to tell you, it's you. You are sacred to God. You are the symbol of His hands and feet extended to a lost and hurting world. You are the apple of God's eye. He loves you. You are precious to Him. In fact, there is one sacred spot in the Old Testament on the whole planet. It was called the what? Holy of Holies. If you went in there unworthy, you were struck dead. Guess where the Holy of Holies is right now? Man, right here. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Shekinah glory that Joe was talking about, that glory, that cloud is within us. And when we engage the heart of God, we're, all we're really doing is going from our mind to our heart and touching God where the Holy Spirit is. Man, God loves you this morning. He's going to speak to you exactly in a way that you can relate. And Hezekiah did what is right. He was one of the kings that finally did what was right. You know, as we're free men and women in America, what asterisk poles maybe do you have in your life? What bronze serpents do you have up that God used for a good thing, but now you've exalted it to a, a position where it shouldn't be? Does that make sense? The whole message, and come on up, guys, um, Joe and Jamie. The whole summary this morning is whatever comes between you and God, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. This morning, the Lord wants to set you free. And restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, Contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. i